we've been in a series that we've been calling Feel Your Pain. And uh, we've been talking about these big issues that I feel like so many people, especially in the church world, struggle with, but oftentimes we're silent about. Um, we, we don't want to talk about it because we feel like if our hope is in Christ, then why should we be depressed? Or why should we experience shame? Why should we experience anxiety or fear or worry or all these things? I want you to understand something. Um, just because you're a Christian does not mean that you are immune to any of those things. Because here's the truth. We live in a fallen, broken system. We live in a fallen, broken world. And if we're not careful, the enemy will tend to trip us up with many different things. How many of you, show of hands, if you're comfortable enough doing this, have either battled with depression or know somebody that has battled with depression? Okay, so that's pretty much everybody here in this room. So the past two weeks, what we did, we, we, we started off the series with this, this idea of pain. And that pain is not something that we should avoid. That actually pain is there to teach us something. The main theme of this whole, this whole series has simply been this. You don't need to escape your pain. You need to find out the reason God is allowing you to go through it in the first place so you figure out why you're there. That's the whole idea of this. So we talked about that the first week. And then the second week, we talked about shame. And I'm absolutely convinced of this through reading the scriptures and through reading a lot of other material that every issue that we're going to talk about from here on out, depression, fear, anxiety, worry, is a symptom of shame. Um, shame is like the main root. It is the cause that is causing all these other symptomatic problems that we're all dealing with. But today I want to talk about depression. I don't know if you know this or not. This, this stat is actually about five years old, so it's probably three times higher than this now. But at one point in about 2014, depression was actually affecting 100 million people alone. 100 million people. So I want you to understand this. Nobody is immune, okay? And, and, and oftentimes, I know that we've heard it in the church world, like, well, you shouldn't deal with depression. If your hope is in Jesus, then why are you depressed, why are you going through these things? And so here's what this causes. This ideology causes, well, I'm just going to silently struggle in my seat. Because if you buy into this ideology, then you buy into, well, I'm going to come into church and nobody can help me. <laughs> I'm going to go out into the world. I can't tell anybody that I'm depressed because they're going to just tell me to hope in Jesus more. And then I can't come into the church and I can't say anything because people will look at me like I'm crazy, right? So it ends into this endless cycle of, well, if you're dealing with it, then where do you go? Where do you turn? What do you do? And all I want to do this morning and throughout this entire series is I just want to create a safe place for you, a safe place to tell you, listen, you may struggle with this, but let me tell you something, you're normal. <laughs> you're normal, okay? All of us deal with these things. And the first step in this process is simply admitting that you have an issue, <laughs> Simply admitting that, okay, I am struggling with something, I am depressed, or I am anxious, or I am battling with shame. So here's the question that we've got to answer today. Could the depression you face today come from the pain that you have ignored yesterday? Could the depression that you face right now come from the pain that you have been ignoring over and over and over and over? I just sense this by the Holy Spirit. Let's just pray because I really feel like there's a lot of people that God wants to release this morning. Because this is a topic, if, if we're just honest, there's a lot of shame attached to it. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to verbalize it. We don't even like to admit that, uh, yeah, I could possibly be depressed. There's so much shame attached to this. And listen, I'm telling you, that is the way that the enemy keeps you there. So let's just pray. Let's just invite Jesus into this space, into our hearts. 
God, I know this is a heavy topic. And I know that the enemy would want nothing more for us to hear a message like this and for us to just sit in the seats and say, you know what, there's nothing that you can do. You can't tell anybody, you can't get open, you can't get honest, because the second you do, they're going to think you're crazy. And God, I, I just pray for every wall that we have built up, every lie that we have bought into, that it's just not true. God, I pray that you would begin to reveal those things to us. God, I pray for the ones that maybe they came here simply just to hear this message. God, I pray that you would just begin to set them free. I pray that you would begin to chip away the layers of their heart, God, where they have held on to so tightly. And God, I pray most importantly, you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's where we've got to start. Something is causing your depression. Something is causing it. And here's what I mean. Emotional pain is not random. <laughs> Emotional pain is not random. Somewhere lurking in the shadows of your life, lurking in the pain that you have suppressed down is an issue. And sometimes it's stuffed so far down there, we have ignored it for so long, we don't even realize it's there anymore, but it is still agitating us. You ever gotten like a splinter in your hand or on the bottom of your foot and you're trying to get it out and you don't know where it is and every time you take a step, it just kind of bothers you, but it gets so embedded into the skin, like sometimes the only thing that you can do is like cut your skin open and dig it out and it's painful. But if you don't get that splinter out, what's it gonna do? It's gonna get infected and it's gonna cause all these other issues. Oftentimes that's what we do with pain. We stuff it so far down, and to be honest with you, some of us don't even know why we're depressed anymore because we have suppressed our pain so long we've become so good at it. We've become so good at just pushing things down that we forget about it. So the first point that I want to make this morning is simply this. Depression is not a disease, it's a symptom. Depression is not a disease, it's a symptom. And let me explain it to you this way, because there's two different ways that you can look at depression. Two different ways. The first view is this. You view depression as a disease. It's only chemicals malfunctioning in your brain. So what do we do? Okay, I'm depressed. I don't know why I'm depressed. I need to go see a doctor. I need to get on medication so I can regulate some things. The problem with this view is it leaves God out of the equation. The problem with this view is you forget about the gospel. You forget about what Isaiah 43, 16 says. Listen to this. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. Listen, when the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, I don't know if you know this, there was no other path. You ever been there in your life where you come up to this place and you're like, God, there's nothing. Like, I don't know if you've checked lately. There's no path to joy. And God would subtly remind us, hey, I am the God that splits the waters open. So if you buy into this ideology, well, it's just chemicals malfunctioning in my brain, then listen, you have to hear me this. I'm not trying to be insensitive to this, but I want you to hear me. You leave God out of the equation. You leave God out of this factor that God is the one that literally comes up to seas and says, oh yeah, watch me, I'm going to split it open. When you feel like there is no way, God will create a way from you. Away for you, not from you. <laughs> Some of you need to hear me on this. There's always a way out. Always. And I know right now, for some of you, maybe you sit in this seat and you say, ah, you know, I've tried every path. There is not a way out. There is a way out. There is always a way out. 
The second way that you can view depression is you can view it this way. You view depression as a symptom. Meaning this, something is wrong with your body, something is wrong with your soul, something is wrong with your spirit, maybe something's wrong with your brain, your life, your patterns, whatever it is, but the result of all those issues is depression. So let me explain it to you this way. If it's a symptom, it looks something like this. Maybe you're playing, well, we don't play because we're adults, I have kids, I get stuck in that language, but... Um, Maybe you're at work, working like you should be, and you hurt yourself. Maybe, maybe you break an ankle. Maybe you do something. That pain is signaling something in your body saying something is wrong and you need to fix it. Like pain, if, if you think about it, although it hurts, it can be a gift. And here's what I mean by that. If you break your ankle, pain is saying don't walk on it, dummy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make it worse, right? So what do you do? You put it in a boot, you get a cast, you go to the doctor, you get some surgery, whatever you need to do. And that pain is there to release signals in your brain saying, don't put pressure on the foot because it's hurting. And listen, emotional pain works the same way. When your life seems like chaotic, when you feel like, man, why do I just hurt all the time? Why do I I wake up in the morning and I feel like this dark shadow over my life? Why do I wake up and I can't, I can't just be happy? I can't just have a, a cup of coffee and enjoy my day. Why can't I do this? Listen, emotional pain is not random. It is a symptom of something. Just like breaking your leg, just like breaking your arm, your pain is telling you something. So here's what you have to hear me on. Your depression is telling you something. Does that make sense? It's telling you something. It is pointing you in a direction saying, listen, there's something that has to change. So today I believe that God is calling us to answer that question. What is it in my life that is misfiring? What is it in my life that is going wrong? What things in my life that are out of control, that are maybe unhealthy? What pain have I ignored? And those are the issues that I need to start addressing because if I start working on those things, then my depression will literally be lifted off of me. David even asked this question in Psalms. He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Have you ever asked yourself that that in the morning? If you deal with depression, you wake up and you're like, why am I like this? <laughs> Listen, take comfort. David asked this. He woke up one morning and says, dude, why is there this dark cloud over my life? Why do I feel this way? I want you to understand something, though. David's depression actually came from sin. His depression came from sin. It came from he murdered somebody, he had an affair with somebody's wife, and now he's covering it all up. And so what's happening? He's feeling depressed. He's feeling down. So I want you to understand his depression was symptomatic. It was not just a, something that jumped on him randomly. And maybe yours is not sin. Maybe, maybe it's simply, are you overwhelmed with something? Are you working too much? Do you rest? Are the bills piling up and you have no idea what you're going to do? Are there things that you're hiding that are just eating away at your soul? What's causing your misery? And here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. And this can be very difficult for some people. But I'm going to ask you to go home and I want you to dig. I want you to probe. I want you to begin to question. If you have to, go to counseling. Sit with a pastor. Sit with a counselor. Open up with friends and family. Fast. Pray. Ask God. Go somewhere deep inside the crevices of your life that you have hidden away for so long and begin to ask the question, where is this coming from? 
Where is this coming from? And the only way that you can do this is to silence everything else around you and be very intentional about, okay, God, where is this coming from? I don't know about you, but I, I, I can tend to be quite ADD, meaning like I, I'm very, I like to move fast and I can be quickly and easily distracted. You probably see it all the time every Sunday. I'm walking around this place like a crazy man. Um, and, and so for me, like social media sometimes can be very distracting. Because it's the thing that you, maybe you're not intentionally trying to go to it, but what, what do you do? You're sitting in the fast food line. Well, I mean, pff, who waits for two minutes and does nothing, right? I'm going to get on my phone. Like nobody waits around in silence anymore. So for me, because I'm such an extreme person, I'm either black or I'm white. I'm either all the way on or I'm all the way off. So for me, like deleting the Facebook app doesn't work. My wife can do it and she's like, man, I haven't been on Facebook a month. I'm like, what did you do? I just deleted the app. I'm like, wow, well, they, there's this thing called Safari on your phone. I would just get on it that way. <laughs> like deleting the app does nothing for me. So my wife actually found this app called Flipped. It's F-L-I-P-D. And um, basically what it does is you can set time blocks throughout the day where it, it literally locks your phone down from any social media usage. Um, and and, and any, any app that would distract you. So if you have any games, any social media, um, it takes the internet off of your phone. So like, think of this, you can only email, text, and call. And when I, when I say like, it literally locks it down, all of your apps disappear. So I did it yesterday, and I set it for a, a nine-hour block where I couldn't access any piece of my phone for nine hours except to call, text, email and a calculator that's about it and um and it has your you know your music app and different stuff like that but it locks all of that down and one of the things that the app tells you is it says this it says you can turn your phone off restart your phone reinstall the operating system and all your apps will still disappear until your nine hour time slot is over (laughs) like it's serious like these people are serious um so at first, when I saw all my apps disappear, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? And all of them disappeared. And here's what's crazy. Yesterday, I felt so much more peace. We're just, I was just with my family. We went to the pool. My wife and I drank coffee. It's my, it's, it was my day off. And so it was just like, wow, this is what it used to feel like 10 years ago when we weren't so distracted and so addicted to advice. And it's crazy. And, and listen, what I mean, and I tell you all that because some of you need to do the same thing. You have to dig, you have to probe, you have to investigate and figure out what is causing me to be so depressed. You know, psychologists say that 80% of the people that are depressed today are because of social media. And you know why? Because you jump online and you look at everybody else's life and you start comparing. It especially happens in the summertime. You get online, you're like, oh, they're at the beach again, right? <laughs> oh, I can't believe, oh, they're at that re- nice little pool resort. I'm sitting over here at <laughs> Louisiana with brown, muddy water, you know? So what is causing it? Listen, some of you need to go to the, you need to go to counseling. You need to see a pastor. You need to, like, you need to go to something that's going to help you. And listen to me. If you do that, that is not weakness. That is strength. Listen to me. Weak people hide. Strong people expose their sin. 
you think, listen to me, men, especially you, you think you're so strong by holding on to it. Oh, I'm just going to take one for the family. I'm just going to take one for the team. Listen, you're eating away, aren't you? It's killing you. You can't be the husband that you want to be. You can't be the boss that you want to be. You can't be the employee you want to be because you have so much stuff that you have stuffed down there. You've got to get some help. The second thing, if you're depressed, there is one thing that you are constantly searching for every single day, joy. So the second point I want to make, joy only comes through surgery. Joy only comes through surgery. It only comes through pain. It only comes through doing hard things. If you want to fight off depression, you have to be willing to get off of like the, the beach and you got to go into the deep water. You're going to be treading some waters. You're going to be in some environments that you're not comfortable with. Like, I don't, I don't like this whole vulnerability thing. I don't like feeling exposed. I don't, I don't like people knowing my stuff. You need to sit there. You need to go into that. Because there's something that you have buried deep down there, and God is saying, listen, the only way that we get this out is through surgery. Now, especially if you deal with depression, I understand what I'm asking you to do is not easy. Because some of you already feel depleted, and you already feel vulnerable, right? (laughs) You already feel like, I'm already tapped out. I don't have any energy to dig down deep. (laughs) I've got nothing left to go into that, and I get it. And the last thing that I want you to do is dig up pain you have suppressed for so long and to fill it all over again. But listen, you have to. You have to. Let me give you another body analogy. Like if you break your leg and you decide, well, I don't want to go to the doctor. So I'm just going to take some aspirin, some Vicodin, some pain pills, anything. And maybe it dulls and it numbs the pain for a little while, but does it fix it? No, it's a temporary solution to make you feel good for just a moment, but you still have a broken leg. And see, when you're in pain, the only way that you remove pain is by taking drastic measures to fix it. It's not by dulling it. It's not by numbing it. It's not by sitting down at night and hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have this, this, maybe you just feel this black cloud and you feel like, man, I just can't wait to get home so I can have two or three glasses of wine so I can just chill out not think about it. Listen, all, and then what happens with that kind of stuff? It creates this cycle over and over and over and over again. You need temporary solutions that you're trying to use, temporary solutions to try to fix long-term issues. So the only way that you're going to get your joy back is by diving into the deep waters and allowing God to do surgery. Now, when we did a whole series on depression last year, um, I had a bunch of people ask me, well, so do you believe that it's wrong to take antidepressants. Um, and here's just my honest opinion. I don't, I don't believe that it's necessarily wrong. If it helps you get into the right headspace, okay. All right? If it gets you in the right headspace to help you go to counseling and it calms you down to get to that, that place, but here's, I think people that ask that question are ask, actually asking the wrong question. And here's what I mean by this. The right question is, what's causing the pain in my soul and how do I fix that? The wrong question is not, well, can I take medicine or can I not? Because here's the truth. I think medicine can help you get to a place where maybe you, you feel comfortable enough to receive counseling and go in and you know, face your fears and vulnerability, but it's not a long-term solution. But what we do in this culture is because we like quick fixes, we're not long-term people. I don't know if you know this, but the average millennial, like the average 20-year-old, 
30-year-old today, you know how long they keep an average job? Nine months. We don't like to finish anything. So, but, but it's seeped into cultures. We want quick fixes. Well, doc, just give me the pill so I can be over it, right? And maybe it helps you for a season, but it does not fix the thing that is eating away at your soul. The only way that you fix the thing eating away at your soul is to do surgery and begin to dive deep and go, okay, God, what is this? What is this? The third thing, this may sound counterintuitive, but hear me. Depression can be a good thing. Depression can be a good thing. Because here's what you have to understand about depression. It's not always bad. And here's what I mean by this. God built us as emotional creatures. We feel, and not all unpleasant feelings are bad. And here's what I mean by this. Depression could be a natural, normal, God-fabricated emotional response to unhealthy activity. So let me explain. If you're young, you're not married, you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you feel guilt, and you feel shame about that. And so all of a sudden you dive into this thing of like, man, I just feel heavy. I just feel clouded. I just feel like something is off. I just feel like something is wrong. And then we go, oh, I'm depressed. But what is that emotion telling you? Hey, listen, God has a better way for you. There's, there's a better way out there for you. It's God's way of saying, stop, I have something better for you. Or, or maybe if you're dealing with the death of a loved one, depression is a natural, normal human response to tragedy. Listen, it's okay to grieve. <laughs> Can I tell you that? One of the things that bothers me so much, and I'm just telling, this is just my own personal pet peeve, when I, I go to a lot of funerals. When I show up to funerals and, and people say, you know what, they may, have, they may have died, but you know what, God's got them, they'll be all right. I'm like, listen, that's not normal. Death is not normal. You don't just watch a love, a mom, a dad, a husband, a father, a mother, like die and then just be like, well, I'll be fine next week. No, you won't. There is a process of you surrendering to that grief and going, okay, it, it's, it's okay to feel this way. When you feel that way, here's what I want you to understand. It is an invitation for you to dive deeper and to experience a God that you've never known before in your comfort. Because all of us want to feel God in the comfortable seasons, right? We all want to feel God in that, but God's saying, well, no, 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 I'm with you in the pain. I'm with you in the difficulty. I'm with you in the grieving. I'm with you in the lamenting. I'm with you. Depression can also be a normal thing if you're working 90 hours a week, ignoring your family and friends, neglecting your walk with God. Depression is a gift from God for you. Because here's what it's saying. Slow down. You weren't designed to work like that. Slow down. You, you weren't built to put in 90 hours a week. And I know some people are like, oh, you don't know me. I just have a higher constitution. Well, how's your family? How's your marriage? Do your kids know what you look like anymore? <laughs> so, so, so maybe, like, maybe you can kill 90 hours a week and you can push for it and maybe you're fine right now, but at what cost? Because in 15 years, you won't be fine. You can't work 90 hours a week and expect to have a healthy relationship with Jesus and the people around you. You just can't do it. You weren't built for it. It's the idea of Sabbath. I, I, tell, I, use, this excuse, I use this kind of analogy all the time when people are like, oh, I was just made to work hard. And I agree. We are all made to work hard. 
And I believe we should work hard. I believe we should lay our head on the pillow every single night exhausted because we worked hard that day. But I also believe that God commanded us to take a Sabbath and to rest. And because God rests, we should rest. Think about it. The creator of the universe, he doesn't need to rest, but he does because he sees the importance of it. He models it for us. So the way that God designed us and the way that God wired us is our soul is built to scream at us when necessary, saying, slow down. (laughs) Take a breath. Value people over things. Relationships over accomplishments. Take Take a Sabbath. Take one day out of seven. Listen, just to be, not do. Take a day where you don't need a to do list. Take a day where you can just be and you have it all. The the whole plan for that day is I'm going to spend time with my wife, my family, my kids. I'm going to stay off my phone. There's no agenda. We just recuperate, we rest. See, pain can be a gift. It can be something that is signaling at us. You weren't designed to do this. And listen, if you suppress that, depression is a symptom of all of those things. What happens is your body starts saying, I'm not created to operate this way, and I can't continue to operate it this way, so it slowly starts shutting down. And we get depressed, and we feel anxious, and we fall into fear and worry. Consider this. Pain exists to to guard us from permanent damage. Pain exists to guard us from permanent damage. Damage. When your knee hurts and you're limping around, pain is a gift, right? Keep your weight off of it because if you keep walking on it, you're going to create even further damage. Pain keeps you off your feet, allowing your leg to heal and guard you from long-term damage. And depression is emotional pain. And depression, like pain, can be a gift. And I think every doctor would tell us to listen to our bodies when we feel something. And the same is true for our souls. Slow down, stop, listen, understand you're not Superman and you can't keep running like this. And somewhere along the way in our life, we get off track and we're not living the way that Jesus actually designed us to. And so we have to come back to this reality of, okay, I need surgery. I need God to operate on me. I need to start digging up the things that I have pushed down and suppressed. So here's what I wanna do real quickly. I wanna get to some of the source of our depression. I'm listing three things today, and this is not like an exhaustive list, okay? I'm sure there's plenty other ones. I think these are just some of the bigger ones. So let's look at some reasons, some things that we may be doing of why we may actually feel depression. Before I read those, let me read a passage to you. This is Psalms 42, um, 1 through 11, and this is from David. And it says this. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How could I go wrong with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs and a praise of multitude keeping festival? I want to pause here because here's what he's saying. He's saying, okay, I'm going to this stream that I've been drinking from for 20 years and I get my, 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 my thirst quenched, nothing's happening. 
Here's what he's saying. I'm praying. I'm reading. I'm doing all the things that I know how to do. I still feel this way. And then he takes it to another shameful level. He's a worship leader in the church. And he's saying, how can I now go and do God's business and God's work if I feel this way? Like God just disqualify me. And then he asks himself this question. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? In God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan of Hermon to Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, Psalms 42 is about a man who is wrestling with his soul. It's about a man who is wrestling with the internal feelings inside. So when he writes 42 verse 1, like as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's a metaphor. A metaphor saying it's like this deer that goes to this familiar drinking hole that he's gone to every single day. And he gets to the drinking hole and there's nothing there. And all of a sudden he's kind of thrown off. You ever had seasons like that where you wake up in the morning, you spend time with God, you're reading the word, maybe you put your worship music on, whatever you do, you listen to a podcast, however you pursue the Lord. And you do that in the morning and it's working and you've done nothing different except all you did is wake up another day and you go try it and it doesn't work. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Like, whoa, whoa, hold on, what happened here? Like God, you and me, we were like clicking. Things were going well, like we were connecting, right? And it's like this deer that returns to this familiar water hole and boom, nothing. And David's going, hold on, God, what is going on? I've been pursuing you. I have no idea what is going on. Pay careful attention to verse 2, what he says. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying he's dying, he's longing, and he's seeking for God, but he can't find him. And the psalmist has lost something. He's lost God's face. He's lost the intimacy of meeting with him and the taste and the touch and the sight of God in his soul. So here's what he's saying. The things that used to stir me up, the things that used to motivate me, the things that used to turn my affections towards God, they no longer work anymore. So here's what I want you to understand. David's saying, I haven't lost my belief in God. I've lost my feel of God. (laughs) Ever been there? Like, God, I believe in you, but I don't feel you. I believe you're real. I I just don't feel you at all. I don't hear you. I don't feel you. So the psalmist still believes, but why is it such a big deal that he doesn't feel? Because the whole Christian faith is built upon God's presence. Being with God God looking at you and saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And this is what Jesus was talking about. When he said, I'm coming down as Emmanuel, like God with us, to be with you. So here's what happens. It throws us off when we go to seek God and we don't feel anything. 
We feel nothing. I believe to the believer, to the Christian, there's nothing more devastating than seeking God's presence and getting his absence. (laughs) There's nothing more devastating, right? You're on your knees in the morning. You're seeking, maybe you're in your car, crying out to God. Let me feel something. Silence. Nothing. See, Psalms 42 is actually a lament psalm. A psalm that expresses grief and despair. And God actually gave us 151 psalms, and 67 of those were lament psalms. So here's what I'm trying to understand. God knows that in this life you're going to go through grief and despair. God knows that in this life you're going to go through difficulty. And sometimes the reason that you go after his presence and you get his absence is because he wants to prepare us for something. He doesn't want us to learn that the only time we will pursue God is if we feel him. Will you continue to do it if you feel nothing? Even when you feel absent, even when you feel like your your prayers are not being answered, Here's what God does in those moments. He's equipping us for difficult times. He hasn't left you. He's still there. The scripture and the promise still rings true that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So sometimes the only thing that you can do in those moments is you lean your head on the promises of God and not the feelings of God. Here's what I've had to learn. I want to know a God that is outside of my feelings. I want to know a God that's outside my feelings. I can say, even though I don't feel him, I know he's here. Even though I don't feel him, I know he's good. Even though I've been praying and I haven't gotten an answer, I know he hears me. And sometimes, the, this is why reading the Bible is incredibly important, because sometimes all you have are promises. Sometimes you don't get the word. Sometimes you don't get the feeling, but you do have a promise. So why do we go through these things? So let me list a few possible reasons. The first reason that I want to list, I'll tell you this, this is the only reason if you're struggling with depression today and it's because of this one, this is the only one that you can walk out of these rooms and your depression can be gone almost instantly. Number one, it's caused by sin. It's caused by sin. Can I be honest with you? Depression, the, the, the bouts of depression that I went through were caused by sin. It's caused by sin. Depression can be directly related to undealt with sin. I want you to hear what David says when he was hiding, when nobody knew about his affair, when nobody knew that he had killed Uriah, when nobody knew about this. Listen to what he says in Psalms 32, verse 3. For when I kept silent, watch this, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What is he saying? Man, I was out there screaming out for you, God. But I knew (laughs) you were telling me, hey, you need to confess something. You need to let go of this. You need to trust me. He was saying that his bones were wasting away and groaning all day. His, His soul was in turmoil because of sin in his life. I'm not just talking about sin in general. I'm talking about the sin that you hold onto and hide due to fear. That's usually what causes it. See, all of us are going to fall short, and sometimes we don't realize that we're sinning. 
And sometimes people need to call us out and be like, man, did you realize you were rude in that moment? No, I didn't. Go back and you can ask God for forgiveness. But then there are things that we know that we're doing that are wrong and we're going through great lengths to cover them up. That's where depression comes from. It comes through the hiding. So what would be the cure for that? So here's what David does next. Psalms 32 verse 5. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you. Watch this. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And that's so powerful if you can grasp that. So he finally came to a place where he's like, I messed up. I did wrong. I need to make this right. He confesses it. And then he says, look, God was what? He was faithful. He forgave me from the iniquity, the consequences of my sin. So if you're going through a dark night of the soul, it may be due to a particular sin in your life. And the solution is actually quite simple if this is you this morning. And you confess to God, and here's the hard part. That's the easy part. God, I sin. God's like, I know. <laughs> here's the hard part. Go confess to somebody else. And I'm just telling you, because I've, I've walked this road personally, you will not feel the freedom until you sit face-to-face with somebody else. You just won't. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because there's still an element that you're hiding. God may know, but somebody else needs to know. It doesn't have to be everybody else, just somebody else. That's important. Because <laughs> we feel like, man, if I'm just going to confess this, everybody's going to know what to walk through. Not everybody needs to know. Listen to me. Not everybody is entitled to know your mess. They just don't need to know it. It's not beneficial to them. It's not helpful for them. They may want to know it because we like to hear gossip. Maybe one person needs somebody that you can trust. That's going to look at you and go, oh, really? Tell me more. Not that person. (laughs) The person that you need is, man, I'm so sorry you're dealing with that. I'm so sorry that you've carried that for so long. I'm so sorry that's something you've walked through and dealt with. And you know what? It's hard, and I'm going to sit with you in it. I'm not going to tell anybody. It's safe with me, and I'm going to help you through this process. So it's simple. Confess, repent, turn away. And you know what I've found? The repenting and the turning away is, becomes super easy if you just confess it. Everything else that you think is so hard comes so easy if you can just learn to say, this is my issue. And because of the gospel, you experience God's grace and forgiving you. And therefore, what's going to happen is your soul is going to be lifted up and you're going to be free. So listen, if you're struggling with depression because of sin, you have the opportunity this morning to make it right. The second thing, this may sound ridiculous, but it's true. The second thing, it's cause in the midst of your obedience. I said that correctly, not in your disobedience, in your obedience. Here's what I mean by this. Some of you are legitimately depressed but are not holding on to any particular sin. And that's probably why you're here this morning. I'm not hiding anything, so why do I feel this way? There's no particular sin listed in Psalms 42. So this shows us that depression can happen even without sin in our lives. 
And sometimes it can happen not because of our sin, but because of our obedience. So here's what I mean by this. It's possible for somebody to be thirsty for God, seek his will, yet go through a deep turmoil in your soul. And it happened to some of the greatest saints on the face of the earth. Guys like Charles Spurgeon, who was one of the great Baptist preachers who, I mean, saw tens of thousands. He had probably the first mega church on the planet. Martin Luther, who led the, the Reformation. Jonathan Edwards. These were all men who struggled deeply with depression in the midst of seeking God and just being obedient to what he asked them to do. Sometimes I'll tell you why it comes in the midst of obedience. It comes in the midst of obedience because you know the right thing to do and you say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to do it the right way. And here's what the enemy does. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You sure you don't want to take the easier road? And all of a sudden, like, easy street starts to become something that's like, oh my, that's a whole lot easier and then you look at this long line of, of obedience and all the hurdles that you've got to jump over to do it the right way. It becomes difficult. Martin Luther, who led the church through one of the greatest movements later called the Reformation, this is what one of his historian re- recounts about him. So he's literally taking people that were enslaved by, this is when the church was just in a messed up era where you were selling bones and telling people if you bought the apostles' bones, you got a free ticket to heaven. You know, if you, if you were sinning and you buy this other bone over here, like God will forgive you. It's worth like 20 forgivenesses. Like, it's a bunch of crazy stuff, okay? The church was at a messed up time and Martin Luther leads this reformation to say, listen, it's all about the gospel. Let's follow this, not this. And so you have this man who is literally helping pull the church out of this crazy, scandalous time. And this is what his historian writes about him. He says, Luther experienced at these times as a fear that God had turned his back on him once and for all, abandoning him to suffer the pains of feeling alone in the universe. Luther doubted his own faith, his own mission, and the goodness of God. Doubts which because they verged on blasphemy drove him deeper and deeper into despair. His prayers met a wall of indifferent silence. He experienced heart palpitations, crying spells, and profuse sweating. He was convinced that he would die soon and go straight to hell. For more than a week, this is, this is Luther speaking, for more than a week, I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. That is a man who revolutionized the way that all of us in this room go to church. Who was greatly used by God. This is him speaking. I'm going to die tomorrow and go straight to hell. God's angry at me. I was reading a, a story. You can read it for yourself in 1 Kings chapter 19. You remember the story. Remember Elisha, he's dealing with all these prophets of Baal. And Israel has turned their back on God and they're serving this false God named Baal. And he says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go challenge the prophets of Baal. They're going to meet me on a mountain. And I'm going to tell them, you assemble all your prophets and we're going to build an altar. And whosoever God first brings down fire is the God, the one true God. 
And so these prophets of Baal, they build this altar, and it says they start cutting themselves. They start doing all these things, like fire come down from heaven. And Elisha, they say he's sitting in the background, and he's mocking them. Maybe you need to cut yourself a little deeper. (laughs) Maybe you need to pray more. Maybe you need to yell louder. There's no fire from heaven. And so finally, Elisha goes, okay, my turn. This is they repair the altar, and all of a sudden, he says, you know what, let's make it a little interesting. Pour water all over the wood. And they're like, what? what? Like, I don't, you know, water, fire, doesn't mix. So they build these huge stones. They build this trench around it. They fill it up with buckets of water. And it says, Elijah prays one time. And it says, fire comes down from heaven. It's so hot that not only did it lap up the water, burn the, the, the bull that was on the altar, the sacrifice, it burned the stones around it. It says, Elisha, then he took all the 400 and something prophets of Baal, he brought them to the river and they killed all of them. Now I want you to notice something in this story because it's extremely important. How many of you in that moment, if you were not a follower of God, you would have been in about two seconds? <laughs> He's real. <laughs> I don't need another sign. Fire from heaven, that kind of sealed it for me, right? I want you to notice something. Right before this happens, a bunch of other great things happened. There was a woman who came to Elisha saying, can you please pray to God? My son is dead. He walks into the room with so much faith. He says, God, tell, tell this boy to rise. He's only sleeping. The boy stands up. He just sees fire from heaven come down. He sees a lame person that was dead breathe life back into. One chapter later, when Jezebel finds out about all the the, the prophets that Elisha had murdered, she sends a letter to him. And all it simply says is, I'm going to make your life a living hell. You better run and hide because I'm going to kill you, Elisha, for what you have done on this day. It says he got so scared, he retreated into the wilderness, sat underneath a broom tree, and asked God to kill him. See, depression came in his obedience. Listen, he just saw God do miraculous things. And here's what I want you to understand. Some of us feel like when we're in these moments where we're we're silent and we're like, God, give me a sign and I will just believe that there's hope. He saw signs and he still forgot about how God was good to him. He saw fire come down from heaven. He saw the dead raised back to life. And he instantaneously forgot that God provided for him. Oh my God, this lady's hunting me and she's going to kill me. You would think like, you'd be like, tell her to come on. Like God's going to take care of this, right? But here's what I love about the gospel is for just a brief moment, he has that depression. He feels like God kill me. And then an angel visits him two times and he gives him this food and he says, you need to eat this. And after he eats the food, it says the food gives him enough energy to go back onto his journey and he's back right into serving God again. So I want you to ask yourself a question if you're dealing with depression. Maybe in the midst of your obedience. Could it be that your depression is not your story, but it's just a chapter? But see, we get stuck in, well, this is how I feel right now and this is how it's gonna be for the rest of my life. What if it's just a chapter? What if it's just chapter 19 for you? And you flip over to chapter 22 and life is completely different. 
What if the same God that pulled you out of the mess that you were once in is the same God that's going to do it again? What if you find yourself in this moment of depression and God sees you and says, you know what, it's going to be okay. You know, the truth be told, I didn't honestly know what depression even felt like for probably 28 years of my life. And then we started this church. (laughs) And I felt it. I felt it real quick. And a lot of it had to do with, in the midst of our obedience, we felt like God told us to start this church. We feel like it was going to be a good thing, that it was going to be a God thing. And I oftentimes have related many times with the psalmist of going, God, why? Why? You ever ask yourself that question? You know, it's okay to be honest with God. I've sat in my quiet time going, God, why me? I'm giving my life to serve you. Why have you taken things from me? But you see, in the midst of you seeking God and wanting to do his will, you may experience turmoil. And listen, if you can go through it well, I want you to understand this. The only reason that he allows it, because in the midst of suffering, you look a whole lot like Jesus. In the midst of suffering, if you can still have an attitude that God is still good, that speaks louder to anybody else than you just having a great time. Psalms 42, verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? See, David had reached a point of depression where even his enemies are saying, dude, your God's not even for you. So let me give you a practical scenario. Maybe you're in the midst of trying to honor God with your obedience, but your wife wants to leave you. Maybe you're in the midst of trying to honor God with your obedience, but your husband says, you know, it's over. Maybe you're trying to honor God with your future career, but you feel absolutely no direction from him. Maybe you desire to have a godly marriage that honors him, but you just can't seem to get married. You stay single. (laughs) Maybe you're trying to live in obedience, but your soul is in turmoil. If this is you, I want you to know that you're not alone. The greatest saints in the Bible experience these very things. These dark nights of the soul. Even Jesus did. Say, Jesus. Jesus dealt with the pre- Oh, absolutely. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? In the middle of his obedience? What was the one question that he asks his father? God, if there is another way, if there is a different way that I can do this, please reveal it now and I will take it. It says he was under so much pressure, he begins to sweat blood. He's under so much pressure, but think about this. The creator, God, who's sitting in the garden, needs an angel, something that he created to come down and encourage him. You got this, it's gonna be all right. He created the angel. And the angel's coming down from heaven saying, you got this. And at any moment, Jesus could have said, you know what? No, it's not for me. I'm out. But he knew it was the only way. Sometimes God uses depression in our lives so that we could know Jesus better. So that we would know a deeper side of who he is. Last point I want to make. Number three, sometimes depression is caused by the physical. 
Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a doctor. He went to about 12 years of medical school, had his PhD, and right as soon as he gets out of medical school, he goes, you know what? I'm going to go be a pastor. <laughs> and he um, immediately switches. So he has all this medical knowledge, and he identifies this verse as symptoms of clinical depression. He says this in, in Psalms 42, verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So we see in this verse, the psalmist is not eating. He has no appetite. He's not sleeping. There is something physical going on. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have this idea to reduce everything to be spiritual. So what does that look like? Everything is spiritual in our life, and sometimes it's just not. So you believe, like, you're the one that, like, you're in the Walmart. Father God, I just pray that you would open up that front parking spot for me. And, like, if he doesn't, you're like, man, God's just not for me today. No, it's called there were other cars there, and they got there first. And as Christians, we have this tendency to reduce everything to spiritual. And here's the sad thing. And here's the, this is what I want to hone in on for just a moment. Here's what the church has done. If you're going through depression, people will tell you, well, you need to go pray more. You don't have enough faith. Well, your hope is not, obviously it's not anchored in God if you're still experiencing this. Can I tell you that? That's not the cure. Because the Bible says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's enough. It's not about your faith. It's not about your hope. It's not about where your allegiances lie. You have to understand when man fell in the garden, when we bit the fruit, all of man fell. Not just our spirits, but our physiology also. Everything was thrown out of whack. Chemicals that ought to be in balance are no longer in balance. And sometimes we may need God's common grace called medication to make us better. This has been my dad's take this entire time walking through cancer. I have enough faith that God will heal me, but I'm also smart enough to go see a doctor. Like God, because you go see a doctor and because you take medication, it doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of faith. It just means you're smart. It just means that you understand God's common grace, that God has gifted physicians and doctors to do their job. And the only, the only pushback that I have on that is that you just don't allow that to become your savior, that the pill is not the savior, that ultimately Jesus is the savior. See, depression is always a spiritual issue, but it may not always be just a spiritual issue. We all need God's grace, God's common grace of medication, his special grace of the gospel to lift our souls from depression. So here's what I'm not saying today. If you're taking prescribed antidepressants, you don't have to feel like you're not trusting God and they don't have enough faith. I believe this is why many people that struggle with anxiety and depression don't ever want to step foot in the doors of a church because they're going to get the same cop-out answer that they get everywhere else. Trust in God, brother, let me pray for you. That does nothing for people. The way that we help people is we lean in and say, man, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. I want to help you walk through this. See, you may never admit it if you are on medication, but you might be living functionally as if it is Jesus for you. I just want to subtly remind you that that medication is not your savior. 
It can help you get to a place where you can become healthy so that it can open up your mind to be able to receive something that is healthy. So here's what I want you to do. If at all possible, seek the wisdom of a Christ-centered, Bible-saturated doctor. I know a lady that comes right off the top of my head that I would gladly help you get in touch with that could help you walk through this. I think some of the greatest gift to the body of Christ today are biblical counselors. Meaning people that are willing to say, okay, we look at your issues, we can diagnose them, but let's point you to the scriptures, let's offer you the hope that Jesus has, and also let's fix the physical side of things. So you get both ends. So yet again, as I said, this is not an exhaustive list. These are probably not all the reasons that people may feel depressed, but I think it covers a good majority of them. It could be sin, it could be in the midst of your obedience, and it could be some physical things. But here's what I want you to understand today as I bring this to a close. Your pain is telling you something. It's saying something. Your emotional pain is not random. It does not just happen. It does not just show up. You don't just wake up one day and go, oh, why do I feel this way? And if it happened to you like that, where one day you were happy and the next day you weren't, I want you to understand that there's a lot of years behind that. <laughs> that there's a lot of stuffage behind that, waking up one morning and going, man, what, what happened? And, and I'm telling you this as somebody who has walked through this. It's not something I'm just talking about and studying about. I've been there. I know what that feels like. I know what depression feels like. I know what it looks like. Can I be honest with you? One of the greatest gifts that God has given me as of lately is to be able to just walk into a room and people, hey, how are you doing? People are like, I'm great. And I, it's almost like I can see your pain. And I want you to know, like, God sees where you're at. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows the hard situations. He knows the unfair things that happen to you in life that may be causing some of the issues. Listen, he knows that one time when you were 8 to 12 years old and maybe somebody took advantage of you and molested you and how that stayed with you and plagued you for a long time. He knows that feeling of you being a little kid and never having your dad around and never having that security of a father speaking into you and how you so long for that. He knows what it feels like to not have a mom that was there to nurture you and to love you and to be compassionate towards you. He knows what that is. And can I just tell you this? The God that truly exists, the one maybe in the midst of your depression that you have not experienced yet, I want you to understand something. He is willing to lean in to the darkest parts of your life and say, hey, you know what? It's going to be okay. We're going to work through this. Even if we have to move through it real slow, we're going to deal with it. 